Well, good morning, Journey. You know, there, there's a rumor going around that people actually like getting their hair cut. Now, I wouldn't know anything about that. But I guess it's enjoyable because you get your head touched, you know, the stylist runs their finger through your hair, and it's supposed to be kind of nice, I, I guess, you know. For me, I, I just get the buffing pad out and kind of shine my head every now and then, a L- little wax on there. Uh, wh- when I was stationed in the Philippines in the Marines, the, the barbers on base were just incredible. The, uh, these, these Filipino barbers, they would not only give you a great haircut, but if you wanted to, they'd break out the straight razor and give you a shave and kind of shave the back of your neck, and it was pretty awesome. But they didn't stop there. Th- these guys, for a, for a tip, would do the chiropractic thing and kind of crack your neck, and then they'd rub your shoulders and, and rub your neck, and, and you came out of there feeling like a, a million bucks. And they'd charge like five bucks, and you give them a $2 tip, and it was awesome. But then if, if the line was really long at the barber, they would also bring in a, a manicurist. And while you are waiting to get your hair cut, you can get a manicure done. Now picture like all these crusty, hard-charging infantry marines lined up to get a manicure. It was rather hilarious. But now this was not the dainty manicure stuff that you get a, at a mall. There's, there was no like flower art on the fingernails. When, when they would do these manicures, they would break out the power tools. They, she would break out the chisels and just clean the gunk from underneath these guys' nails. But I really think, you know, we would line up to get a manicure and go to these barbers just because we would get a physical touch other than the guy at the barracks punching you in the arm. You know, I, I read this, this week about a young man who literally... Uh, felt so starved for attention that he would get his hair cut once a week just to be touched by another human being uh, in a non-threatening manner. And we go through our life sometimes kind of like on an elevator ride. And by by that I mean we, we pile together, but we're all facing one direction, eyes forward, no eye contact, no conversation, no interaction. And then when the door opens, we pile out, we rush off to our separate lives, and we do our own thing. And you know what, that, that alienation, that separation, that isolation, man, it can feel like death sometimes. It's just not good for the soul. Remember back in 2020 when, when COVID first hit and, and everything shut down, my job just came to a screeching halt, probably like many of yours. I was the director of, of a nonprofit ministry at the time, and my, my whole role was to meet people, to go out and visit churches, to interact, to make connections, to raise money. You know, this nonprofit focused on starting new churches and um, making healthy ones. So it was all about people. That was the sole focus of, of what I did, is make those connections. And all of a sudden, all of that was off the table. And I was left sitting at home, by myself, me and the dog, you know, staring at a computer screen with an occasional Zoom call. And I was miserable. You know, it just was not good for my soul. And I learned a lot about myself during that time that, one, I learned I'm highly relational. You know, I need to be around people. And I need to connect with others. 
The other realization that hit me is that really my, my purpose, my calling that God has put on my heart is intense, intentional relational disciple-making. It's about people. And you know, the best place to do that, the best place to connect is right here in the middle of a church family. For us, it's the one we call Journey Christian Church. We do that in a church family that's, that's together and united and running after the same goal together. And that teamwork and, and unity behind that goal is so important that there's a whole section in the book of Ephesians that's dedicated to it. So if you brought your Bible today or you have your app, open up to Ephesians. And as you get there, uh, just um, setting the big picture again, we're still in the middle of our sermon series entitled Called Disciples Making Disciples. And in this series, we've been looking at kind of the DNA or the practices or what I've been referring to as, as guardrails that keep us running down the lane of being a disciple-making church. And way back in week one, we talked about how important it is that we need to be a disciple first before we ever talk about making disciples. Week two, Justin talked about that a disciple-making church needs to help others find Jesus and walk with Jesus. And la last week, our third guardrail was about the importance of connecting with others within the church family, with those that are already here. And today, let me focus on the importance of being on the same team together, teamwork and unity as we run after this goal of making disciples. So we come to Ephesians chapter 4 today, and I'm going to read the first six verses. As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Folks, a disciple-making church is a church that functions together as a team. It takes a team to, to make disciples. And, and by that, I mean it's not just my job as pastor or it's not just the job of the elders or the leadership team. It falls on all of us. We're all called to this task. It's, it's a team where we're running after making disciples together. And for us to function well as a disciple-making team, uh, we need to look at three things today. We're going to look at our character, kind of the behind, our character behind functioning as a team. We're going to look, look at our God who is the originator, the origin of unity on that team. And I'm going to leave you with a challenge, with a charge to build unity. Well, first let's talk about our own character, how we live our lives. You know, this section of Scripture, as the Apostle Paul writes to this church in Ephesus, he begins by saying, I urge you. You know, he says this urging to live a life worthy of the calling that God has put on your life. The English tra Standard Translation says, walk in a manner worthy. So Journey, how's your walk? You know, w would you describe your Christian walk as, as worthy of God's calling in your life? 
Or is, is our walk, you know, a little more different than that, veering away from his calling? Now, granted, our walk is not always through flowering meadows where everything is good and, and dandy and just fine. Sometimes there's valleys we have to walk through. Other times, yeah, there's mountaintops where things are great, but there's times where we have to go through the depths of night and other times where we walk in the sunshine. Sometimes those, those walks are filled with laughter and things are good. Other times we're trudging through difficulty. But the encouraging part of being on the team is that we don't have to do this alone. And functioning as a team is key. And a key part of that is our character. So what kind of character does the scripture call for and what does it look like? Well, he says, first of all, the character trait is to be humble. Now, one definition of, of humility is that humility is that grace that when you know you have it, you've lost it. <laughs> now, some of you might have set your New Year's resolution this year to be more humble. And here we are kind of wrapping up January, and you think, I got this figured out. Humility, check it off the list. I am so humble, way more humble than you guys are, you know. But what, what does humility really look like from a biblical standpoint? Well, first of all, it means you put Christ first in your life, and you put other people second, and you put yourself third. And humility also looks like you're restraining the sense of entitlement to be the focus of everybody's attention and care. It's taking the spotlight off of yourself and allowing it to dwell on other people for a time, to celebrate them, to minister to them, to serve them. I love how C.S. Lewis um, teaches us in the book Mere Christianity. He writes that humility is not thinking less of, our, of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And I love that. He just puts it so succinctly. So one, that one character trait of being on a team is being humble. Another character trait is, is being gentle. When Scripture uses that word, it doesn't mean weakness. There's nothing timid about it, but really it's, it's power and strength under control. It means dealing with other people with kindness rather than roughness. It means dealing with people with empathetic compassion rather than demanding force. It's about soft encouragement rather than bullying. So God calls us to be humble and gentle. But then scripture also uses the word patience there. Patience and bearing with one another. They really go hand in hand, those two. And as, as the name implies, it just means not short-tempered. Other translations of scripture use the word long-suffering, literally long-tempered. In other words, it takes a long time to get you riled up. And honestly, that's, that's not always the case for me. Sometimes, you know, my, I would say short-suffering or, or short-tempered. I get frustrated, you know. We, we had car problems this weekend with, with the brake um, on our car. And man, I just got so frustrated trying to figure it out and, and work with it. And, you know, I would not use the word long-suffering when I was pulling, pulling apart the brakes yesterday. But it's the ability really to, dis, to endure discomfort without fighting back. 
One translation of scripture uses this, translate that, that phrase as making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. And I, I love how that, you just, you're giving each other a little grace. You're cutting each other some slack because you know we're all a work in progress. It's recognizing that spiritual growth in our lives, it takes time. And someone, someone might be further along in that process than you are in one area or another. And just realizing that over time, we're all in this process of growing more and more like Jesus. So do those character traits define you or are they in your heart humility and grace and long suffering or patience you know the, the truth found in the scripture regarding teamwork it's about unity and not uniformity and there's a difference between the two unity comes from within it's a product of god's grace in our life of allowing god to work in us and change us from the inside out Uniformity is the result of pressure from the outside. You know, unity does not begin with external structure, but uniformity does. Uniformity is about, you know, forcing people to be a certain thing or follow a certain rule. So unity is this idea of character that comes from the heart. But, the, but it ultimately starts and originates from our God. And it... In the scripture, it points to the oneness that comes from God the Father. And Paul, as he writes this, he points out seven different unities that all originate from God. And as he does so, he, he describes what the Trinity, how the Trinity is involved in this process of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Because he says there's one body, spirit, and hope. There's one Lord, faith, and baptism there's one god and father and the same god is over all through all and in all i just love that description of just the power of god so it says the person of the holy spirit and in, is involved in bringing unity and and the spirit really creates the body of christ which we call the church and of which we are a part of and that one spirit, it calls us into this one body of the church, and it gives us that one hope of eternal life through the gospel of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 reminds us that we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. So the Holy Spirit, it creates, it fills, it coordinates, it orchestrates, it empowers all that unity within the church. But the person of Jesus Christ is also involved as well. Because it says there's one Lord, this Jesus that's proclaiming one gospel, this faith in him symbolized in our shared baptism. And it's also the person of God the Father involved as well. One God and Father, the, the originator, the ruler, the sustainer of everything, everywhere in the universe. So it starts from God, it, it deals with our character, but then Paul comes back around in verse 3 and gives us our challenge. And that challenge really is to step out and build unity. Because he says, make every effort to keep the unity. In other words, he says, do your utmost to pursue unity, to keep the unity. This is urgent. 
And that just means there's no room for rivalries or hatreds or factions within a church. If you were in church 30 years ago or so, there was this thing going on in the 1990s that was really divisive. It was called the worship wars. I mean, it's kind of an oxymoron to put those two words together, worship and war, but it was happening in our churches. And it was this battle, really, that became pretty volatile between what was known as a traditional style of worship and contemporary, which was coming in. And back then, traditional worship was basically um, the instrumentation was an organ and or a piano and one worship leader, you know, leading people from a hymnal. And contemporary then meant, you know, you would have drums on the stage and some of the people thought those were like the devil's instruments. But it was drums, it was praise band, it was guitar, it was multiple singers, and that was kind of considered contemporary. And you would put the words from the printed page on a hymnal and up on the screen. And just doing those things really split churches. And it became... For a lot of people, they became disenfranchised with the church because of that. And I was thinking, thinking about that this week, you know, and sometimes you still use, I still hear that vernacular of traditional and contemporary being used. And I thought about my, my kids, Josh and Sarah, and all, all they have known growing up is contemporary church. So for them, contemporary is traditional, you know. And then I thought, well, wh- what's, the, what's the new contemporary going to be coming down the road? You know, those worship wars were a sad thing. But you know what? Some amazing things can happen when we, when we pull together as a team. Th- this week, I did a little research again and, and reading up on um, the 1980 Olympics. And I, I remember watching this. This was, you know, 40 years ago now. And, it, and if you were around then, the Olympics were held in Lake Placid, New York. And something amazing happened at that Olympics that they called a miracle on ice. It was when the U.S. hockey team um, overcame and beat the Soviet Union in hockey. And it was this incredible thing because the USA hockey team was made up of collegiate athletes, most of them from Minnesota, you know, from my homeland. It was this glorious thing. They were coached by the, by the University of Minnesota um, hockey coach, and most of them, with the exception of like two, were players from Minnesota, one from my hometown as well. And these college athletes, not professionals, they learned to play together and, and to put glory or spotlighting aside to come together as a team, and they built this powerhouse of incredible athletes that the Soviet Union had put together. Nobody expected them to win, and they took home the gold, and they called it the miracle on ice. And it was just a beautiful illustration of what teamwork can do, of, of how this coach uh, built this team together of, of young guys just a few years out of high school and took on this powerhouse and won. So today, let me give you just, just some practical steps on what it looks like to build unity as a church. First, realize that each of us has a purpose or gifts from God that are going to vary from person to person. Your, your gifts are going to be different from those around you. So find that purpose. Find that spiritual gift in your life. And if you're not sure what that is or what that looks like, man, let, let's connect. Talk to me. And we can explore that together. 
So find yours, but also celebrate others. You know, we're not looking for uniformity there. Because your purpose, what God, how God has wired you, your own spiritual giftedness, your passions are going to be different. So find that in your life first. So purpose. Second of all, let me ask you to pray. Pray diligently and fervently for Journey Christian Church. Pray alone in your personal devotion time at home, but pray together as a church as well. You know, we do this this third Monday thing called Praise and Prayer Night. Monday night's right here at 7 o'clock where we gather together as a church family and pray. Let me encourage you to come on out and experience that. But pray together. On Sunday mornings around 8 o'clock, there's people in the prayer room right on the other side of that wall praying for our church. So pray diligently, fervently, urgently for the church. Thirdly, be a peacemaker. You know, Paul says to make every effort to pursue unity through the bond of peace. You know, a peacemaker is a man or woman that's characterized by honesty. And by that I mean honesty in, in relationships. You know, that they can have, they honestly see where a relationship is at. Honest about what's in their own heart. And honest about where they need to get to. And a peacemaker is also willing to risk pain because sometimes it's hard uh, to work towards being a peacemaker, to work towards reconciliation in a relationship where it's a lot easier sometimes just to turn your back on a person and walk away. But listen to what Jesus himself says about it. It says in Matthew 5, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. I love that. You know, there's a fictional story that there, there might be some truth to it in different churches, but we're going to go with a fictional story about a, about a story between a local church pastor and the leader, the worship director, the choir director at this church. And this church would have, would have fallen on the traditional worship side where they would have a hymn and the choir director would lead the choir at the close of the service. And one week, the, the pastor preached on commitment and how everybody in the church should dedicate their lives to service. And the choir director, because of the squabble, uh, picked the final song, the final hymn to be, I Shall Not Be Moved. <laughs> so the next week, the, the preacher preached on giving and how it, you know, we are glad, we are to gladly give and support the work of the church with our resources and finances. And the choir director led the hymn at the close that Jesus paid it all. Well, the next week, the, the preacher, uh, his message was on gossiping and how we should control our tongues and not gossip. And the choir director led the hymn, I love to tell the story. So the fi finally the preacher had enough, the squabble had gotten out of control, and he's upset, and he, he turns in his resignation. And on a Sunday morning, he informs the congregation that he has resigned, he's moving on, and that the, he feels that Jesus is leading him away to a different ministry. And the choir director then leads the hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. <laughs> I, I hope that's fictional. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up this morning.
You know, Journey, we, we are like a, a symphony orchestra. We're different musicians that are skillfully combined. As we combine our talents, we make beautiful music together. We make beautiful ministry together. Because so many of you, I mean, we're all unique. We're all different. You have different talents and gifts than I do. You can reach different people than I can. But imagine for a moment if that orchestra got all, you know, in a bother and division came into it. And the string section decides to become competitive and try to outplay all the other sections of the orchestra. And then the wind section gets upset about it with all the conflict and stops playing entirely. And then the brass section steps in and pulls off a leadership coup. And then the orchestra conductor gets fed up and quits and leaves and go plays in a jazz band. <laughs> you know, each of you holds an instrument. And together we, we play in this thing called uh, the church. And when together we can make beautiful music, we can partake in beautiful ministry, and through that teamwork, through running down this lane of disciple-making, we can have eternal impact in the person's life. You know, a disciple-making church functions as a united team and begins with God working in your heart and surrendering to Him. Now, I don't know where you are at in your life, but let me challenge you to do that very thing today, to ask God to examine your heart, where you are at with Him, and to come to that point of surrender in your life. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, I want to thank you just for the example of Scripture and the encouragement that the Apostle Paul gives in this letter that we know as Ephesians. Father, it's an encouragement, it's a, it's a challenge. So Lord, I, I pray for each person here that we can examine our hearts to see in areas of our lives that need to be changed, to be drawn closer to you. And Father, help us each to play our part, to function together as a team so that we can continue to strive and run after making disciples here at Journey. So Lord, we thank you that you make this possible through the Holy Spirit in our life that you give us through Jesus Christ, your Son. It's in his name we pray, amen.